You are listening to Dialogue City. Find us on Twitter, Medium, and Facebook at Dialogue City. Look for us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and any other podcasting streaming services you might be using. Dialogue City is recorded in Mokinstus in Treaty 7 territory. Welcome to Dialogue City. I'm Grant Neufeld. I'm Jeremy Zhao. And with us today are... Aaron Bird with Fairtrade Calgary. And I'm Emily Main. I'm the founder of Main Ethics and the head organizer of Fashion Revolution Week. And also sitting in with us today are... Brianna Laughlin, uh, the co-founder of Plastic Free YYC. Okie doke. So, what, uh, what is some, something really significantly motivating you in the work that you're trying to do? I'm going to start with Aaron. So Fairtree Calgary um, is a non-for-profit organization. We're related to Engineers Without Borders Calgary. And we're really trying to advocate and educate about fair trade and um, advocate more fair trade choices being available in Calgary. And for those of you who don't know what fair trade means, uh, it's basically uh, the principles are a fair wage paid to the workers, the producers, that they're ethical working conditions, so no child labor, no slave labor, um, that they're meeting you know, labor laws and things like that. Um, environmental practices, sustainable practices are being used, so limited chemicals, no GMO, and that there's a long-term relationship with the producers and also that there's a premium that goes back to uh, be reinvested in the community and it's democratically decided by the producers on how to reinvest that money. Uh, so we're really just trying to increase the awareness in Calgary of what fair trade is and why you should support it and offer more choices for fair trade product in Calgary. Um, I guess what I do, I come from more like of a social justice activism background and stumbled into fair trade and I guess conscious consumerism. Um, so I, I look at things on the intersectionalities of it with with social justice. So Aaron and I do a lot of work together. I've volunteered with Fairtrade Calgary and a lot of the work that I do is involved with Fairtrade, but um, I guess I'm really focused on yeah, conscious consumerism and how both individuals and corporations can make changes um, not just through through clothing, but any of the purchases that they make and how these all interconnect with other issues. So, you know, where our clothes from is connected um, to women's rights, it's connected to feminist issues, it's connected to environmental issues and how all of these things, um, you know, while I'm advocating specifically probably for like ethical consumption, it's not a separate issue from any other social justice cause. I guess, you know, during the break, we had a break. Um, <laughs> there are so many questions that an individual is always afraid to ask or they don't know the like how to ask that question or how to approach a certain subject matter. Do you find like when you were first starting in advocacy, and, and this question applies to everybody here, like how do you approach going about taking those first steps, asking the question, and, and then kind of putting that question into practice or, or to try to find change? Like, how do you find that journey? Because a lot of people that I talk to, they're afraid 
or they go, they're very skeptical. They go like, you know, I can't do this. You know, what a stupid question to to ask somebody. You know, I would look stupid, or I I would be called something. Uh, especially in today's world, where it's very polarizing and and it's very difficult for a person who genuinely wants to be engaged in something. How do they go about, you know, taking those first steps and eventually seeing the change that they 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 want to see in the world? Yeah, um, that's a big thing. Why I started doing the work that I was doing was that like I was on a sort of personal like I had been introduced to these concepts and I had no clue like seven years ago when I started about anything. I didn't know that sweatshops were a thing. I didn't know about child labor, like absolutely ignorant. And then it was sort of like my process, like I would read a book or like I would read an article or have a conversation with someone. And then as I was learning more, I became like more passionate about it and started, you know, learning more and more and other people saw that. So then people would come and chat with me and I'd be like, okay, well, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. And now you know, many years later, I like to, to think I know a little bit, but I mean, I'm, I'm always learning new things. Um, but for the people that are just starting out, it's so overwhelming. Like we have label overload, like overload, like fair trade, non-GMO, organic, direct trade, like all of these words. So already like language is a huge barrier. If I don't understand these like core concepts of what it is, how am I supposed to even understand what the issue is itself and so i always tell people like it's overwhelming it's not easy like if changing the world was easy we would have done it already but the fact of the matter is is that like it's gonna suck probably to to research and find these things and confront your life choices up into that point so like ooh, realizing oh dear like i think i just bought a t-shirt that was made by a child that sucks or I just, you know, used a plastic bag and now uh, maybe a turtle is going to eat it. And it's hard. So it's a recognizing that it's not an easy process. It's an ongoing uh, educational journey. And then be thinking specifically. So like if you have a question that comes up, you know, maybe you think it is a dumb question, but I guarantee it's been asked to me 90 times before. Um, and writing it down and so that you can Google it later. If you're at the library, you can check it or at chapters, like you can check out that book, but then also, you know, finding a podcast or finding a YouTube video, finding people on Instagram that are doing those things and slowly just asking those questions because chances are someone has already researched it for you. So like, don't reinvent the wheel, like go to someone. So I, you know, in my business, my motto is, you know, making ethical easier. And so I would like to be that hub where people can come if they have no idea where to start on all of these topics. Even if me in these last five minutes, I've said words that people don't understand. Like, you know, I want people to come and have that conversation because how are we going to learn and how are we going to change the world if we don't ask questions and if we don't sit there in, in our life and be like oh maybe i am doing some problematic things and that sucks but like maybe tomorrow i can i can do one thing that is gonna gonna make a change or be different than what i'm doing today yeah and i think the same thing too is that i try to go into conversations with people um making them feel safe and uh, comfortable mm -hmm. and not judging like i'm not judging if you're doing something good or bad or that you're making the wrong choice. Let's just have a conversation about an issue. And if you don't know something, ask the question and 
being an engineer, I tend to use a lot of big words sometimes, or I tend to kind of go very high level. And sometimes I don't under I don't get that I'm actually beyond somebody's common understanding. But that's where ask the question and let's just have the conversation together and figure it out and and make sure that it's clear. And I think a lot of times people just aren't aware. And I don't think anyone ever goes on purpose to hurt um, or. You know, there's always priorities, convenience versus uh, things that are harder to do. But I don't think people purposely go out to make the wrong choices or do something that's going to hurt the environment. Really, we all have each other's best interests at heart, but you have to tune in to make people understand and aware that, you know what, if you if you do choose this choice, it's actually a detriment in this way. And maybe you didn't know that. Um, like the, the child labor thing, like I used to buy chocolate without realizing that a lot of the chocolate industry is mired with child labor issues. Wow, I had no idea. Um, and I, I still don't beat myself up if I do happen to get a chocolate bar that's not a fair trade chocolate. I, You know, you have to also be patient with each other too and, and not judge and really just educate and help people come to their conclusions. I think one of the things in activism is that that we don't do enough of in this society is building our our networks of mutual support, building our affinity groups, building the ideally close knit group of friends, allies who are people that we are on this journey together with, where we're people that we can have a, a fun game night with um, but still are doing the work together because we tend to get so caught up in the overwhelmingness of of these issues of the the urgency of the crises that we're in that we don't deal with our ongoing daily humanity our, our need for for social connection, our need to to laugh and play together, to to have people that we can safely turn to and not feel overwhelmed by the the judgment of oh we're not the 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 perfect person who's doing all the, who's who's you know buying solely fair trade locally grown um, organic GMO free um, social justice wired from like head to toe um, because that it's not possible to do that in this society. So just taking care of each other, of, of building the relationships where we can support each other in the journey of getting from the dominant society's mode of, of consumer imperialist culture to doing things better. And appreciating, yeah, I'm doing this a bit better than I was yesterday. I'm not to, to my goal yet, but I'm a step forward. And with me in this step are, are my friends and allies who we're, we're, we're moving forward together and we're learning from each other. And we're going, yeah, what I was doing or thinking yesterday, there were some problems with that. Yeah, but and I, I think, oops, sorry, like I think that's what Aaron and I try and do is that you know, we met through community. We met through our shared desire. 
to make a change in the world. And I think our events that we, you know, organize together separately, like that's what it's based around is that like, we aren't setting up this event to sit there and judge people. Like, my gosh, I always say like every day we're choosing between the lesser of two evils, but we're going to do some evil. And I think like Aaron and I, for the big part, like our events are circled around of like, Hey, let's get together. Let's see our challenges. Let's talk about something cool and interesting. Let's celebrate a win that we had. Let's learn together and have that, like that friend, that allyship, that, that community behind it, because activism is isolating a lot of the time. So without these events, to share that, you know, how can, you know, how you can you fight through that, like, overwhelming feeling all the time? And it's actually, it's been super exciting because um, Emily's organizing this Fashion Revolution Week, and I, just from being a part of her planning group and from doing um, my own, you know, we're trying to do a fair trade fashion showcase as well, it's been so amazing, just the people that have come out of the woodwork like there's seriously an underground fashion, sustainable fashion yeah, movement in Calgary that I didn't even know was here. And I have met like so many cool people that have all been kind of working in their little silos with their own little spheres of influence. And now it's all coming to a confluence and it is exciting. And like, that's what I said is that I was seeing so many people like social, why I like focusing on conscious consumerism is because it isn't like a a one issue it intersects into all of these issues and so when i was or like wanting to organize this event i was seeing so many people out in calgary like i've only lived here for about three years but i was seeing so many people doing this work and i was just like maybe i'll email them maybe they'll be into this thing and like erin said it's like there are so many people out there in calgary who want to make a difference in the way that they're purchasing their items. They don't want to support sweatshops, but maybe just don't have the information about it. And they want to connect with like-minded people and learn in a non-judgmental way. So it's been very, very cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Calgary has this perception as being this horribly hardcore right wing, um, this, this center of the the extremist capitalism and all this kind of stuff. And while to some extent that's true, I mean, we're certainly a hotbed for racism and, and misogyny and you know, very old style colonialist power type thinking. Calgary is also a hotbed for really interesting progressive activism. The challenge is that the vast majority of the activism is happening in little tiny pockets in the silos um, and that most of the activists aren't aware of each other, that we we don't talk to each other. We don't have an infrastructure for activism in this city that most other cities do. We don't have a really solid hub, like a physical place for, for social justice, for activism in the city. There are little pockets of it but there's nothing really substantial for that. And Can you give us an example of the hubs city? in other cities? Sure. Um, in, oh, and I'm forgetting the name of, like, the Earth Store or whatever it is up Edmonton. in Edmonton. Um, oh, yeah, Earth's General Store. Yeah, Earth's yeah. General Store, which was part of a, a collection of, of activism. So they had, they had this sort of commercial market thing where it's like you know buy and sell stuff but they also had a um 
charitable organization which was doing environmental organ, uh, education, and they also had a nonprofit that, that was doing advocacy. So they they built up these these three legal entities, which served as a frame for doing a lot of activism. When I was in Ottawa, there were the on-campus PERGs, public interest research groups, which provided a physical center for people to who just wanted to get involved or wanted to learn something to come and start to connect. But we don't have that sort of drop-in space in Calgary where people, we briefly had the Haymarket bookstore, um, bookstore and cafe, which was a place where people could just come and hang out, but there would also be meetings and events and speakers and film nights and stuff like that there. So people would have that as a way to sort of find some some connection into activism that was going on. But that didn't last very long because the space they were in, the building, wanted to tear down and build some new expensive space, so they you know, lost their space there. Um, so that's, that's the thing for me, is this infrastructure of how we build the ways for people to connect and sustain ongoing activism. But it sounds like you've got some of that connecting going on in the work that you're doing. Yeah, like I, you know, I think it's very hard to create a hub for activism because activism is overwhelming. And so like, I'm the most passionate about a certain issue, but I don't expect everybody to be the most passionate about my issue or like that issue. So it becomes overwhelming when you are connected maybe with too many groups because though I believe that they all are interconnected, it's also like, where can you best use your talents, your skills and your knowledge to, to be the most effective activist that you can be. So, you know, Aaron and I partner up all the time because we have very similar things and the people that are volunteering with fashion revolution week, like though, you know, conscious consumerism might not be their, their sole passion. It's because it, very much directly aligned. So I get what you mean, though, like having a hub for at least sort of one niche topic is is important. And I hope that like Aaron and I are, are creating maybe this space around not just fashion, because I mean, you all can't see how I'm dressed right now, but it's not fashionable. <laughs> um, like, but not necessarily around ethical fashion, but around issues around fast fashion and issues around you know, slavery and labor rights and whatever. So it's gathering those people with these sort of commonalities to use all of our, our tools that we can to, to create something cool. And I've actually noticed that in Calgary, it seems to be the entrepreneur networking events is where I meet the most people that are actually, maybe they're secret activists, but they are activists because they're trying to incorporate social responsibility into their new entrepreneurship business, which is super exciting for the future of Calgary too. But I, I, I think that that's really, I've, I've met so many different people who have similar spheres uh, or have no other people that I'm working with on other initiatives and it all just kind of yeah you start to connect the dots and you get really excited about it because you're finding more and more people that believe the same way you do have you done anything with B Corps? 
So I do know about B Corps. I'm not like totally um, educated on everything about them, but I do. I think it's great. They're uh, they're super as far as support for fair trade because um, they they you know have some of the same principles. Um, yeah, it's it's a little tricky. I would say a lot of these issues are super complicated, and fair trade is uh, you know not any different than any of these. So. Uh, because there's so many different certifications and because B Corps don't really um, align with a, a specific certification, they just, you know, align with the principles, then sometimes it's hard to see the direct relationship. But then again, I always say, let's be inclusive. We're all heading in a good direction. So let's all head there together, whether it's under a certification or not. So, uh, but yeah, it can get a little tricky when you start talking certifications and what do they mean and what's better than what and yeah can go down a nasty path actually <laughs> so to anyone here what are what are some ways that that businesses in calgary either as startups or as existing businesses that want to improve their practices what are some ways that they can shift to or develop um positive business practices in their, in their entrepreneurship and in, in that um, yeah and, and and what perhaps are some of the the options out there whether it's how they structure their business in terms of their internal organizing like do they go with a worker cooperative model um, what are some of the the certifications or processes that are out there or what are some of the forms of legal entity whether it's something like e-court or or other legal structures that can help do business better anybody want to jump in i just jump on i don't know if i have ideas for you know certification um, or structure on how you build your business but i think if you're going to go down the cultural conversation route you want you can't just can't you can't just cherry pick what you want as a business. You can't just cherry pick what you want to say or do. It has to be embedded in your in your um, mission, in your mantra, and in the people you hire, and in your actions, and in what you say. It's a it's an all encompassing thing because in this day and age, uh, people like Aaron and Emily and you, we see through the fake social responsibility side side um greenwashing greenwashing we see through that now there there's no dark corners anymore for corporations to hide in so if you if you want to be in my opinion if you want to be successful in whatever um activist activism uh activist topic um as a corporation you need to do it full fully and thoroughly through your entire corporation if that makes any sense if you want to tackle fair trade it has to be embedded in everything you do it can't just be a little piece of the puzzle yeah i i definitely agree with that like you look at at companies where or businesses that is embedded like i look at james who runs fiasco gelato in every part of fiasco gelato it's about people before anything the way that he runs his business um but, you know, I will say that, like, for existing businesses who are realizing that consumers want that change, you know, there are things that they can do. Um, and it depends on the business. So if, like, you know, 
my first thing is if you're selling clothing, let's ad- address your supply chain. Can you trace back to the cotton, to the, f- to the farmers who are picking it? To Can I trace your whole supply chain and see where that's going? So that's like one thing that I visit. If they don't sell clothing, then it's, you know, it's addressing, you know, maybe it's addressing a living wage if we're looking specifically in Alberta or maybe it's looking towards getting certified. So B Corp is a really popular one right now. There's also fair trade workplaces. There's um, living other wage workplace. living wage work, which is yeah a new thing. And so it's, while I completely agree that I think these things need to be ingrained into it, it I think it's very hard for businesses that are already established to, I, to get to that point and it's it's baby steps so i i always use patagonia as a case study you know patagonia didn't start out to be a leader in corporate responsibility for people that don't know patagonia is uh, an outdoor retailer and it wasn't started as them being like we're going to be sustainable they actually don't even think that to this day that they're sustainable because they're taking still more from the earth than what they give back and you know they didn't it wasn't ingrained in their ethos. And so, but they learned through, oh, like, darn it, the cotton that we're using is sprayed with pesticides and it's harming the workers. They only realized that, like, what, 10 years into their practices? And then they made changes accordingly. Or, you know, they opened up a store and realized that, like, whatever the store was emitting, like, was emitting toxic fumes that were hurting their workers at the store. And they were like, oh, rats, like, gotta change this, you know? So it's not like uh, all in one foul swoop are you going to become an ethical or sustainable business. It's it's working with people who that is their expertise. So I think companies more and more are making these switches, but think that they can just do it by themselves. But it's re- it's outsourcing to the people that are experts in their field to help them along that practice. Because once again, like you don't need to reinvent the wheel for these things. There are people that you know, specifically know how to look at a supply chain or specifically know how to get B Corp certified or, you know, whatever you're trying to address or lead for buildings. That's another certification, you know, built into the architecture. It's addressing, okay, what are some things that we can do, you know, in a five-year goal, in a 10-year plan, in a whatever-year plan and thinking, you know, truly at, at the end of the day, capitalism only works because of the land and if there's no land there's no capitalism you aren't going to make money if you have nothing to make money from and you know as much as i'm very anti-capitalism in my day you know i recognize that this is where we are this is where corporations are and i don't think doing better business should should cost you money but i don't think that you know money should maybe be at the forefront it should be the people the environment and 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 then making these like little switches to that note uh, you spoke of resources and people that are doing a good job and you spoke of patagonia which is based in california and they do a phenomenal job but i recently uh watched a seminar where um, they had a sustainability director from mec and if you're a local calgarian entrepreneur here in calgary reach out to mec they have a program just for you to show you how to get do these steps if you're well-established corporation or just starting out mm-hmm. these 
that is your local resource right now. And MEC does amazing things with what yeah. what they want to do. And Patagonia literally put out a book called like corporate responsibility. Yeah. They literally have a checklist for a corporation to go through for yes. like people, payroll, environment, whatever. Like it's laid it's out. It's amazing there. what they do. Those two companies. And, and Green Calgary is another resource yes, for companies that want yeah. to shift their business practices. Um, I, I want to speak in in defense of of those who haven't yet taken it intrinsically and are just doing lip service mm-hmm. to, to corporate social responsibility. I want I want to I want to speak in defense of lip service because because what I've observed is that particularly in larger organizations where you know they have perhaps thousands of employees in multiple centers and so on. Um, where the leadership is very much in the in that sort of classical capitalist mode of thinking of you know profit 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 how do we maximize our profit um when when the leadership adopts through as lip service the language of corporate social responsibility of environmental responsibility of of social justice when they adopt that language but it's clear they don't actually believe it themselves um that still can be a good thing because what that does is that creates the space in the organization for the people in the middle and, and lower levels of, of that organization's hierarchy to say, well, hey, our leadership is saying we need to be corporately responsible. We need to have social responsibility. We need to be environmentally responsible. And and I believe that. And, and they do actually do that. So it creates a space for them to start making some changes in their organization. And those are the people I love to meet because they come to me and say, hey, I heard about fair trade and we're supposed to, as a business, be looking into sustainable options. And I say, hey, let me come to your company and do a lunch and learn and tell you all about fair trade and how you can become a fair trade workplace. And I mean, yeah, so, you know, the if it was a top-down thing where they thought it would be easy to just include in their mission and charter and they didn't think they'd have to actually do anything. I mean, the key thing will be, will the, will the senior management buy into an action? And that's where the proof is in the pudding. Because, you know, if your senior management is still going to shoot down those ideas, and it says a lot to the person working there that they don't really believe in it. Unfortunately, it's still bad news for people who are trying to make a difference in the world. But I, I have seen cases where the, the management, the executive, the board didn't believe those practices, but, you know, signed on as a marketing exercise. But it, it did actually create the space for some changes to happen in the organization where people brought that forward. And what it does, too, is if they keep saying those things, you know, we were talking about marketing in the previous episode that people start to believe it. And the people in the middle ranges of that organization, who are the people who eventually rise to the upper ranges as as their career progresses, start to take those values into the upper ranges. And in a generation or two, you have an organization that then does have as a genuine belief, Mm -hmm. what started out as lip service and marketing becomes genuine belief that yes, we, we do have social responsibility. We have ecological responsibility. So while it is optimal to, to infuse these values through the core and throughout, throughout the entirety of an organization, as we're retrofitting existing organizations, 
there there can be a place for empty lip service. I would look at, I think, like, H&M is a case study in this, where H&M, like, is notorious for its fast fashion and its child labor. And they started what I believe was, like, a greenwashing marketing campaign. They didn't really. They were like, we see that consumers want, like, organic material. Like, oh, let's type this up. Let's, you know, whatever. I don't think it started as an actual commitment to this. It was just how do we sell more clothes? How do we push this off of our shelves? But over the years, you know, they've been called out by huge, um, you know, fast fashion like abolitionists and activists like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation who focuses on circular economies like calls them in and said okay you know CEOs of H&M like come sit down with me and talk about really you know what you're doing so I think H&M is an example I'm like I'm still very weary of them like I'm cynical of everybody but I think they're an example of once again it was like We've, we're going to start out as marketing this, but now have like committed to goals till at, I think like 2030, they want to switch to all organic materials. They're working towards having recycling facilities like drop in their stores, which all come with problematic things. Don't get me wrong, but I think that they were held, they said these things and then all of these activists were like, okay, well, we're going to hold you to this now and have these conversations join in. And now H&M is sort of, you know, there's the Copenhagen Fashion Summit, which, um, you know, focuses on ethical consumerism and more and more of these fast fashion, like notorious for their exploitation are now being invited and saying, well, hey, we saw that on your website. You said you care about people yet. Why is this happening? So I think it's true. Like you put it out there. And I mean, for us consumers and for those that don't know, unfortunately, like we can maybe get caught up in the like greenwashing and actually be supporting something that's not super great but on the other hand yeah maybe internally employees will be like well i mean like it's all over our website i think we should be making these changes this mentality though is very interesting um we're going through a tough i work in the oil and gas industry we're going through a a rough patch right now but (laughs) but it's interesting because what i've been seeing and the living wage uh, example that was very recent, you know, the stickers and everything. It. What I was observing was that companies who have this mentality, like, yes, we're going to do A, B, and C, oftentimes, you know, uplift, you know, their employees' mentalities. So they're going like, hey, let's all do this. But companies who don't actively, you know, go seek for a living wage or have ethical procurement practices or whatever, they tend to go like, hey, how come they're doing so well? We want to bring them down. They have this active mentality to go like, no, he or she's like doing better than me. I got to bring them down to our level. Oh, isn't that capitalism at its finest? It's so, um, you know, it's, it's so apparent, so evident, yet we don't talk about it and we don't just see how we as human beings if we aren't being treated well we will actively go out at times to say like hey if i can't have that i'm just going to bring them down to my level as opposed to if i have a company or a message that i can stand by why not uplift everybody else and i am evidently seeing that let's just say well you see that in the attitudes that are promoted against unions where people say, oh, you know, those union jobs, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, they're getting paid more. 
because they, they're in a union. Because the union works to make sure that everybody gets a better wage. And rather than saying, oh, you know, it's terrible that they have those union jobs, like with the government workers who, who are among the few remaining union jobs in, in our society, to instead say, hey, no, everybody should have a union job. Because as long as there are bosses, we should have worker collectives to defend against the power of the bosses. I mean, that's what a union is. You know, and, until we get worker co-ops where we don't have to worry about that kind of thing. I mean, I, I would be glad to get rid of unions if it meant that there weren't bosses. But as long as there are bosses, we better have unions. It was quite interesting about this whole minimum wage thing, too, um, because, you know, obviously people feel very strongly about it uh, locally. But when I ask, well, so, you know, you're buying most of your stuff um, that's being imported here from other countries, and those people are getting paid even a fraction of what we get paid here as minimum wage. I mean, really, the fact that they don't have any sort of minimum for the labor overseas is a huge, um, you know, reality that a lot of people just aren't aware about. So it was actually quite interesting because it brought, um, it was the same reasoning on why we support fair trade. And uh, a lot of people didn't make that connection right off the bat. Yeah, um, Oxfam International just came out with a report a couple of days ago and they came out with this this stat that said, um, like a CEO of a major corporation in four days makes that of a garment worker's lifetime salary. And so it's connecting, you know, where our clothes or whatever is made to local corporate, like Calgary is home to a lot of these corporations. They have their offices here. And so, the minimum wage discussion for Calgarians, but then it's also, okay, uh, CEO, maybe you shouldn't be making that of a garment worker's salary. And it's making that connection of the people that are behind the products. It's not just in Calgary, it extends all throughout the supply chain in whatever field to ensure that, that these, these rights and, you know, law, labor laws and, and fair wages are being implemented. And I think there is that disconnect where we don't put that together of like, well, if we're being, you know, a minimum or a living wage here, what does that mean at the end of the line? You know, does that minimum wage mean you're squeezing these workers out of like more money or are we making an equitable chain across, mm -hmm. across the world in, in the, in the supply chain, if that makes sense. Bringing an end to the, the current pyramid scheme mm -hmm. of, and, and you know what, I'm actually reluctant to call it a capitalist system because what we have doesn't reflect much of what Adam Smith had to say in terms of defining capitalism. Um, I generally prefer to call it corporatism Completely. because it, it's not about, you know, because if you look at the actual capitalists in our society, those tend to be the people who are you know, working 80 hours a week, struggling at really crappy jobs who are, you know, putting their labor in to, to get the capital out kind of thing. But the, the pyramid scheme where the people who are contributing the most in terms of actual work get the least. And the people who have are given more. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not a consequence of your contribution to society that you're getting 
wealth. It's that you already possess wealth, so you so you get more. And you know, we saw that also in the Oxfam stat about that the one percent got what was it, sixty eight percent of the wealth generated last year went to just one percent of of, wow. of of the people. But then also recognizing that like we as Calgarians are one percent oh, yes. as well. And so it's like, you know, it's not just one percent as like you know, the richest of the rich, we are also the richest of the rich. We are the 1% in, in the world and making that. And like, I think the onus just like to get back to sort of like activism and an individual activism is that the onus gets put on individuals so much. And it's like, yes, well, I can make these changes. I can stop, you know, voting with my dollars at certain places. At the end of the day, the people that need to be making the changes are in these corporations and engaging with them and saying like, listen, this is absurd that, you know, a CEO is making this much money, but yet, you know, a worker who is putting in the most effort is making absolutely nothing in comparison. And so while individual actions and, and voting with our dollars is important, it's crucial that like the world needs to shift the way that we do business so that there is a more equitable distribution of wealth that the 1% doesn't receive like 68% of the world's wealth or whatever Oxfam um, came up with. Like it just, we just need to like drastically rethink the, the way that we do business. And the whole idea of the transparency of being able to see every step in the supply chain. Like I think with clothing, that's what's so difficult too, is that if you go to a manufacturer in Canada and you try to ask them, where do you get your fabrics from? They're just like, oh, we don't want to tell you. It's all secrets. So, you know, there has to be transparency with every step along the way. And you have to be willing to share that information or else you're never going to make a change too. I mean, and that's the thing is if you, if you don't have the transparency, you don't know what's really happening, but then you can also claim ignorance and it's a vicious circle. Yeah, that principle of openness and transparency, I think, is something that in all aspects of our, our society, our existence, is well worth moving toward. I mean, we're certainly seeing the push for that, if not the enactment, but the push for it um, in governments with moves to things like um, open data and the um, just transparency moving away from the assumption that government should keep everything a secret to the assumption that government should disclose almost everything, the open by default practice, and that you actually have to say, no, this really needs specifically to be held back. You know, things like people's personal medical information. I mean, obviously, yeah, that's not something for public disclosure, but most information the government has should be accessible to the public. And similarly, most information that companies have in terms of what they're producing, how they produce it, where they're sourcing stuff from, that should be in the hands of the consumers. Mm-hmm. You, know, you should be able to not just see an ingredient list that says, you know, artificial coloring, but you should be able to say, okay, what what is that coloring and where is it coming from and how much were the workers paid to produce that? Um, And shifting away from this idea that being transparent means profit loss. You look at a company like Everlane, which is pioneering sort of transparency in mega business through their clothing. Like they're 
ethos is tra- like transparency. They have, you know, Q and A's every Tuesday They call them transparency Tuesdays where you ask questions and they'll answer them. Like, and they're making a ton of money from a generation that is seeking out transparency. So shifting, like releasing these documents and releasing where these factories are or, or, you know, spending reports, I don't think it should be associated with, you know, the loss of anything, but instead of more accountability and in turn more people who are willing to shop because you're being open about your practices. Building well, true trust, essentially. Yeah. Like not and, and when it when it opens things up to going both ways, so that the, the consumer can then say, Oh, here's this thing. Well, this makes me think of this. And then they communicate that to the company. And all of a sudden, you've got an opportunity to have a better business process because of the, that feedback well, with the consumers, but also with the workers. Because if the workers, if the frontline workers aren't held apart from knowing what's going on with the business direction, they can speak up and say, oh, there's this issue. And all of a sudden, you've got better business processes. And we're seeing this in, in governments that practice open principles where... You know, the city of Calgary employs something like fifteen to 16,000 people. When all of a sudden, those people can all have inputs into the processes going on, you can get much better results. And when the members of the public, who aren't employed by the city, but who interact with the city, can have better input. I mean, the 311 app, where you can contribute all kinds of recommendations about what goes on, and right down to, you know, a foot by a foot level where you say, okay, in, in here, there's a problem with the pavement kind of thing. Like that creates opportunities to, to have much more efficiency, much more effective processes. Do we have studies? Are you anybody here aware of studies where you go like, Hey, if a company implements this type of transparency initiative, what happens to the amount of money? So fair trade Canada had, uh, had thrown out a stat, I can't remember the exact survey, but it was saying that companies that offer sustainable choices were growing 4%, whereas conventional companies were growing only 1%. So it is showing that if you have those those choices available, your company is going to grow faster. Uh, now, does that mean that companies that greenwash are still growing as fast? I, I don't know. Like, Or does it... like? It depends. You can sort of read that data a bunch of different ways, but I would like to think that the companies that are doing the right thing are going to soon put the companies that aren't out of business. Well, we've seen in terms of things like living wage, where the companies that implement the supposedly costlier wage structures so that their their lowest paid workers are making a living wage... uh, they have improvements in terms of worker retention. Mm-hmm. They have much lower rates of, of employee turnover, which is a big cost mm-hmm. savings um, and contributes to efficiencies. Um, they have happier workers who are more productive. So it act, what they found, I mean, you look at um, something like Costco versus Walmart, um, you know, the two biggest names in, in big box multinational say you know retail sales and they are at the opposite sides of this you know Walmart is you know their workers are reliant on food stamps 
<laughs> they are sub-poverty wages, whereas Costco pays a living wage and has benefits plans and stuff for their workers. And they're, you know, they're both thriving businesses, although Walmart has apparently been closing some of its shops. Um, so that says that, you know, doing things, you know, ethically in terms of paying the workers appropriately and, and supporting the, the, the lowest paid workers well um, doesn't impair business at the least. And there's certainly many cases to be made for it. It helps businesses actually thrive because those workers aren't in opposition with the company they're working for then. You know, the, the workers who are making sub-poverty wages, they're not fans of, of their workplace. They're, they they won't feel any qualms about sabotaging their workplace. And is the same true for then governments, governments who are generally more open, transparent with their data, do they find? I, I would assume there's some study done about citizen satisfaction or the input that they get back from their governments yeah, on how... I, I haven't looked at that, so I, I can't fairly right. say. I'm but just I, I think it out there. The, the, the OGP, the Open Government Project, would probably have be the place to go for information on that. Yeah, and I also, like, I'm not aware of the government or even, you know, from corporations, those stats. But I think, like, beyond, like, yeah, great, if you have a B Corp, maybe you do see 4% increase in sales. But I think beyond that, it's shifting this mentality of, like, if we do these things and we slap this label on, we'll make more money. It's no, it's about shifting, to put it once again, you know, to quote James from Fiasco Gelato, just because I admire his business practice so much, is that like, maybe you should reassess that, like, why you want to become B Corp. At the end of the day, like, 4% growth or not, does it really matter at the end of the day, if you know that you're like helping people, caring for your workers, caring for the environment? Like, does profit actually, like, why can't we shift out of this bottom line that, yes, profit is one thing. I mean, that's how else are you going to be a business? But shouldn't we be going into this for so much more than that? And I don't disagree with that. I just go like, yeah. that's always the starting point. That like, how do I make as much money, money as, as possible? And that's the questions that like people ask me the, the most are like, yeah, but I'm like paying way more for this product at this point. You know, that's a myth. I can, that's, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. But then it's also like, but how do I do this and maintain a profit? And so like, I work with, you know, people because I understand at the end of the day, but it's also like, let's work towards a shift in our whole mentality of how we operate through business. It's changing business. So yeah, maybe you're seeking out that 4% growth, but it's also like, maybe we can also start thinking about why you thought about growth first rather than the people that actually work yeah, for you. That's a good point. But I have to say, like, it's very positive that mm. we are building capacity for these choices to be available Completely. and often at very comparable prices. So, and that's what I tell people, like, um, this is more related to food, but I tell restaurants or, or hotels, I say, just ask your distributor because they probably already carry fair trade brands. All you have to do is ask the question and they probably are are distributing that stuff anyways. It's just that people just don't know to ask and to say, hey, why don't you just switch me over to this type of tea or this type of coffee instead? And it could be a very easy shift. And so that's where I'm trying to think of ways to make the change very convenient for people. But then again, the whole question is, should it be that convenient or should people just be doing it because it's the right thing to do? 
or all of the above. Mm-hmm. Or all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any, well, step, and, and, any step towards, I think, it, like, once again, I think you said earlier in this conversation, it's like, we're all moving, like, as long as we're moving towards a goal of making better choices, no matter, like, in whatever system or certification or tenure plan you have, the point is, is that we're trying to move towards change. We should talk about our events because they're super exciting. Yeah, go for it. I think Emily should talk about Fashion Revolution. Yeah, so just plug that. Fashion Revolution Week, April 23rd to 29th here in Calgary. Um, Are there particular venues? So it's a ton of information that I don't okay. want to regurgitate, but all of the information is on... Uh, I'm sort of the official partner for the event, so I, everything event-related will be found on mainethics.com. So M-A-I-N-E, E. T-H-I-C-S dot com um, and that's sort of where all the information will be hosted but I'm sure you'll see information all around from from other people that are involved in planning and who are going to be um, you know also promoting it so you'll probably be able to, to find that um, we'll, we'll link that from the uh, show notes for this episode and then I wanted to talk about the fat, fair fair trade fashion showcase that I'm organizing. So this was um, an initiative that's related to our National Fair Trade Conference that's happening in Vancouver, March 2nd to 4th. And we had decided as part of the conference to have uh, several sessions on textiles, clothing, handmade, and uh, all, you know, and it ends up being related to fashion as well. So we said, why not do a fair trade fashion showcase where we can have three designers and originally it was going to be three designers from Vancouver only but I kind of said well I really want to start a a fair trade fashion movement in Calgary so can I have three designers from Calgary participate as well so um, the Canadian Fair Trade Network helped uh, source the materials so we found uh, material from a cooperative in India uh, Mandela Apparels and they provided us virgin undyed and uh, you know, no color in it, uh, weave cotton material that's fair trade, internationally fair trade certified. And we've divvied it up among three designers in Vancouver uh, who are from VCAD and three designers in Calgary. And uh, the, the, the three Calgary designers, Heather Shade, Carolyn uh, Ford, and Becky, uh, Becky Purdy, uh, are going to be creating outfits from this uh, material and then we're going to be presenting it at the at the conference but more so than that is I really want to use the opportunity to have the designers and their fashions showcased at whatever other events we can in Calgary so we'll be part of Fashion Revolution YYC we'll be part of uh, hopefully the U Calgary Fashion Network they're doing a runway show at the end of March Uh, we're hoping to find other opportunities where we can maybe have uh, either the outfits or the designers are both available in stores in Calgary, um, you know, stores that maybe support ethical clothing already. So uh, I just, I'm super excited to be able to feature these three designers and to really build a name for them and a, to build awareness around the source material of where the clothing comes from, because it's great to reuse, recycle, repurpose as well. And I think that's like a key, a huge step to make, but let's even start to think about where the source of the material is coming from and try to really, uh, I guess, just make sure that we're buying quality material that values people and planet. 
And Aaron and I really, you know, we realized that not everybody can travel to this conference. It's in Vancouver. And, you know, because we're based in Calgary, you know, she was a huge advocate for getting Calgary designers in on this. And that's why, you know, I'm planning Fashion Revolution Week here in Calgary. It's for people that want to learn more about fast fashion, about, you know, the where things are coming from in the supply chain, where that original material is coming from, and then making those connections here in Calgary, because it's not possible for everybody to go to these conferences that, you know, are around Cal- or around Canada. Um, and so we, we thought like these, you know, events working together to create something really cool here in Calgary that people can be a part of. So if they're at all interested in fashion, but also around discussing issues around fashion, you know, modern day slavery or environmental issues, like we'll create something cool here in Calgary as well. Are there other opportunities to, to bring this into things? I'm thinking of something like Market Collective. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like there's... I, that's the thing is like I start this and then I find out that there's so many other things happening like there's an Otapiak uh, native uh, like Aboriginal fashion week that's happening there's a make fashion event as part of Beakerhead there's there's like so many different events that are all around fashion and you know various types of fashion and but a lot of it's sustainable fashion for some reason so I think that's amazing it's great so we'll, we'll do a a closing round and you know, basically the, the question of was there something in this discussion that you really want to highlight something that sort of made you think of something you hadn't been thinking of before or something that we didn't touch on that that you'd like to, to just bring in to make sure it's addressed in, in this discussion so this time we'll start off with Jeremy activism can be a very lonely you know path but you know even doing this podcast I'm still learning like so much and I'm meeting so many new people where I can now go like hey I've learned about this issue I can tap into that individual's resource or or network bank if you will and you know there are other people out there who think similar to to the to the things and thoughts that go on and my mind as well so I'm always very grateful that I can interview very interesting people who aren't like you know big celebrities that's not what I really want because the people who do the groundwork are the ones who have some of the most amazing and interesting dialogues conversations journeys in their lives that kind of lead them to where they are right now and and where they'll go in the future so I just find that to be absolutely fascinating it's, it's lonely but i know there are like millions of other people taking that lonely path and you're all kind of just slowly crawling towards the uh the beautiful sunrise <laughs> <laughs> right it's beautiful right it's we should sustainable all hold hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. me yeah. um i like to highlight um we talked about how lonely it can be as an activist and but i really like to highlight again how amazing it is when I first launched I was, felt like I was all by myself this crazy plastic free girl <laughs> um, but the more I got into it especially in the last few months um, I've, I guess you can call found my tribe or found my people um, and I'm sitting in this room listening to these two amazing ladies talk about fashion and fair trade um, it just really um, highlights that 
you know, that the causes that we are fighting for are interlocked and that there are other people focusing on the other evils that are out there so I can continue focusing on my evil but collaborate with them to fight the overall evil. And I guess um, I look forward to collaborating more and um, moving forward together. So. Yeah, that, that importance of, of building ongoing interpersonal relationships, mutual support, collaboration, that's critical to being able to sustain activism. I've been involved in activism in various forms for most of my life, and I've continuously seen this, where the people who don't put the, the serious work in on building relationships, of, of building partnerships, teamwork, um, community, the people who don't do that, they come and go from the activism. It's it's hard it's hard to sustain involvement if you if you don't have people you're with in doing the work. Um, so yeah, this this conversation has just sort of brought that thinking out for me again. That it just how important it is that even if it's just somebody that that you can bounce ideas off of and who will go, yeah, that's really cool, mm-hmm. or oh, did you think of this? Or, oh, there's, I know this person over here that you could talk to. That's so critical to being able to sustain the work. Um, and this is work that has to be sustained. I mean, we talk about sustainability and environmentalism. Well, sustainability and activism means that you're able to do it from the time you're six till the time you're 106. Like it, because it's lifelong work. This isn't, as much as it feels like the urgent crisis of the moment always, Yes, there's always the urgent crisis of the moment, but there always has been, you know, for the, since the dawn of the agrarian age, 15,000 years ago or whatever it was, um, we've always been in crisis. And if, if we as activists today do our work, then there will still be crises 100 years, 1,000 years from now. If we don't do our work, then there won't be humans around, so there won't be any crises, so the problem solved. But that's that's not the kind of solution I'm interested in. I, I would like there to be humans 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, um, or human descended as our evolution continues. Um, but yeah, sustaining ourselves in the work is critical. So, Aaron? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess I came to that realization too that I'm I'm in a marathon, I'm not in a sprint. And <laughs> so it's okay to be patient with myself because I tend to be a very impatient person when things don't happen as fast or as easily. And as Emily said, you know, if it was easy to do, uh, we wouldn't be doing it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes to see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and maybe there isn't an end of the tunnel, maybe it just keeps going into continuum, but that's okay. And every little step that, um, that goes a little bit further is a reason to celebrate. And so taking time to celebrate those small successes is uh, definitely important uh, when we're talking about fair trade, fair trade town, fair trade country, fair trade world. Um, yeah. I, I celebrate every single little success that happens in our group, so it's great. And I guess just sort of in addition to, to talking about connecting with community and activist groups, um, unfortunately, ethical fashion in the mainstream is um, like very woman, white woman, cisgender, 
oriented and marketed for and a lot of voices are not heard so you know i'm organizing fashion revolution week but and i forget who said this quote or don't know the origin but you know a revolution isn't revolutionary if it isn't accessible to the poor and i say that you know accessible to the poor but also accessible to people of all genders of different socioeconomic statuses you know different races and and those are the conversations that need to be happening within activist workspaces is look around and see are people being represented what are what we are working for is it truly for all and it is it is it accessible to all i know in planning this you know just the space like the physical space of meeting up it's like is this accessible for every person to get into and then it's also okay the language that we are using is it you know rooted in the gender binary and are we being exclusionary of our you know non-binary pals over here when we're discussing issues of fashion which you know is a very gendered world when you go around so it's also looking internally at your activist and your ally structures and is this really being the most inclusive space is this really a revolutionary act that we're doing do you want to do a plug of your group websites sure fair trade calgary is www.fairtradecalgary.com very easy um, and you can follow us on twitter facebook instagram all the usual social media channels yeah, and you can find me on mainethics.com, and I also have an Instagram page that's updated the most frequently, so that's where you can find me. Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks. 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 Find us on Twitter, Medium, and Facebook at Dialogue City. Thank you for listening to Dialogue City.